Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of moldy beans. I'm Paul Bresson. And I'm Jason Neeling. And before we get to today's topic, I just want to mention you might notice that we sound a little bit different. Maybe you hear a little bit of reverb in the background. That would be because we are recording in our new recording studio, which is my new apartment, which does not have carpeted floors and is very reverberant. So if you notice, we sound different. That's why. And uh, it'll get better in the future once we get our couch and our rug in here. But uh, just wanted to mention that. Anyway, moving on. Today we're talking about miso, a food slash ingredient slash seasoning, very versatile food that has been very popular in Japan for hundreds of years. I would say most people have probably heard of miso in the context of miso soup. That's got to be the most common form of miso, I think. In the West, definitely. Yeah, the most well-known form of miso. Yeah, that was the first time I'd heard of miso was in miso soup. And, you know, I remember wondering, like, what is miso and what does it have to do with this soup? Because, like, you look in the soup and there's, like, tofu and seaweed usually. Where's the miso? Well, the miso is actually dissolved in the broth. Yep. And that's what gives it a whole lot of flavor and umami and saltiness. Yeah. Miso itself is actually usually a paste-like substance. Yeah. So let's describe miso in its purest form. Basically what it is, is it's fermented soybean paste typically made from a mixture of soybeans, some sort of grain, usually rice or barley. You got salt and koji mold. And if you listen to episode 73 that we did about soy sauce, you might notice a lot of similarities between that episode and this one because they're kind of pretty much the same ingredients. Koji is also used for sake too, right? Right. How would you describe the texture of miso, Paul? It's not a sauce like soy sauce is. No, it's definitely a paste, but a little kind of like a gritty paste? Yeah. Maybe a way to describe yeah, it? Yeah, it's not perfectly smooth and homogenized. I saw the texture described as similar to peanut butter, which is close, I think, but miso is a little less sticky and, like you said, a little grainier kind of. Yeah. Miso can also come in a wide range of colors. You can find it from kind of an off-white color to dark brown. There's a pretty wide range, and we'll talk about what makes those different. Yep. Miso tends to be a salty food, mm -hmm. but there's many different varieties. Some are a little more sweet or more earthy or even more salty. So there's a wide variety of taste. Yeah. I saw a bunch of words used to describe the taste of miso, like... Salty, sweet, earthy, like you said, fruity maybe, savory, funky was a, a funky. common word I saw, yeah. <laughs> What's and, this funky stuff? Yeah, and I agree with all those words. Like You can definitely find all of those flavors in miso, but if you've never tasted miso on its own, that might sound super weird. Like, why would you want to eat something earthy and funky, you know? Yeah, and there's so many ways to eat miso. I think we'll get into that more later. But you can just eat miso, mm -hmm. and it's used in so many recipes, so many flavorings, so many soups, extremely widely used in Japanese cuisine. 
Right. And it has such an intense flavor. You don't need a lot of it to like really add something to a dish. Oh, thank you, Jason, for leading into my fun miso fact so perfectly. The average person in Japan consumes three kilograms of miso per year, which is enough for one bowl of miso a day for the whole year, pretty much. Miso soup, you mean? Yep. So three kilograms, like that's a lot, but to turn into 365 bowls, like you only need a little bit. Yeah. It's like uh, maybe a tablespoon a day, I think. Somewhere around there. Yeah. One or two tablespoons. So yeah, that's a lot of miso. And for for our fellow Americans, that's about 6.6 pounds that that converts to. Thank you. So yeah, it's a very popular food in Japan, and it also has a big part to play in Japanese culture. I got a fun fact for you, Paul. Let's hear it. Did you know that miso can come up as a part of a marriage proposal? I did hear that. I heard it's a little less common these days. Yeah, it's kind of an old-fashioned thing, but... If I wanted to marry you, for example, I would say, Paul, will you make me miso soup? And then you would just understand, oh, Jason means for the rest of our lives. (laughs) (laughs) So what I didn't hear was how to respond to that. Is that a yes or a no? Or is that a wait and see? And tomorrow morning, you're either going to have a nice hot bowl of miso soup or you're not. Yeah. I was imagining the recipient of that question to just wordlessly walk to the kitchen and start making a bowl of miso soup. (laughs) But that also leads a little bit into how important miso soup is as a part of Japanese cuisine. Like miso soup and white rice is the base of Japanese breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, like the standard Japanese meal for a really long time is just rice, miso soup, some pickles, maybe yeah. like a some sort of fish or something. And I think that's where the marriage proposal ideas comes from. Mm-hmm. Like, are you going to be there every day for me making miso soup? Are you going to feed me forever? <laughs> <laughs> I've been seeing all these posts online lately where women are complaining that Men don't want a girlfriend. They just want a new mom. <laughs> this is kind of making me think of that. Yeah. Are, you, are you cook all my meals for me for the rest <laughs> of my life? All right. Yeah. I can finally move out of mom's house. Shall we talk some history, Jason? Let's do that. And again, there are going to be a lot of parallels here between the history of miso and the history of soy sauce. So I wanted to start at the same place, basically, with fermentation. Fermentation is the chemical breakdown of a substance by bacteria, yeasts, or other microorganisms, and historians believe that fermentation was discovered around 7,000 BCE, probably in China. Uh, What were they making? Beer? They found evidence of a fermented alcoholic beverage made from fruit, honey, and rice from that era. Alcohol, of course. Yeah. Fruit, honey, and rice. That sounds good. Kind of good. I imagine like a mix between mead and sake. That makes me imagine. <laughs> yeah. Would be, it sounds so good. Like fruity, fruity sake. Yeah. Fruity and sweet. Yeah. So in Japan, grain and fish miso kind of stuff had been manufactured since the Jomon period, which was, I mean, that really long kind of prehistoric period between 14,000 BCE and 300 BCE. So... 
these days, that stuff that they were making way back then is referred to as jomon miso. And while it's not quite the same as modern miso, similar sauces were being produced throughout East Asia. You know, they would try fermenting all sorts of stuff and just make like a, a thick kind of sauce out of it. But it sounds like it was in China where they were really playing around with soybeans specifically. And by the 3rd to 5th century CE, they were making a paste solely from fermented soy. So I'm thinking, like, this is pretty close to miso already. You mash up soybeans and let it ferment. That's kind of the basic process. Yep. So I think that we can conclude from that that it's likely the origins of miso came over from China with Buddhism, like everything else. Yep. <laughs> or I should say everything else, but so many other things. A lot of things. In what, like the sixth or so century? Sixth, seventh century, yeah. And uh, one of these foods that they brought over was called hishio. We mentioned this in the soy sauce episode. It's a, a thick sauce that seems like it was kind of halfway between soy sauce and miso. You could consider this the predecessor to both of those things. And in the Nara period, in the 700s, I saw that Hishio inspired another food called Mishio. Did you see this, Paul? I saw a little bit about Mishio. You know, I remember learning about Hishio, but Mishio was new to me. But basically, it's Hishio, but with the beans left in. So maybe one step closer to modern Miso. Now, the characters for miso, first showed up in literature in the Heian period, which was around the 800s to 1100s. And at that time, I saw that it wasn't even used as like a seasoning the way it is today. Like it wasn't just a contributing flavor to dishes. They would eat it directly. Yeah. Like I saw that they would eat it like a popsicle. Like you get a stick, you cover it in miso, and you just suck on it. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Or they could use it as a spread, I guess. Yeah, I heard they like ate it as a side dish with meals sometimes. Yeah. And uh, we've talked about how people used to be paid in rice way back when in yep. Japan. But apparently, miso was also used to pay the salaries of some elite bureaucrats. Like It was still too good for commoners at this point. It was only the rich people that had access to it, and they would take it as payment. That's fascinating. Yeah. Imagine getting like paid in caviar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't until the Kamakura period, which is 1185 to 1333, where they started grinding the soybeans and it became much more of like the miso we know today. Right. And this was because there were these Buddhist monks from China that brought suribachi mortars to Japan. And these are still in use today. They're basically just these little bowls. You can fill it with whatever you want to grind up. And then there's a you know, a wooden or stone pestle. It's like a little, I don't know, a blunt rod sort of thing that you can, you can grind up stuff. So, you know, they would use these to grind up the soybeans. So the miso got a lot smoother going forward from this point. They're not just leaving whole soybeans in there. It's getting much more homogenized. Mm-hmm. This also made the miso much easier to dissolve in water. So this is when miso started being used in soups. And the invention of miso soup, as we mentioned, kind of shaped the traditional basic Japanese meal. The rice, miso soup, a main dish, and pickles. 
At this time, though, remember we're still around the 12, 1300s or so, this mostly would have just been eaten by samurai still, because miso was still pretty expensive. So in the Muromachi period, which began in the 1300s, production of soybeans increased, and over time, miso started to make its way to the common people. In the Sengoku period, which started in 1467, also known as the Warring States period, miso became a really important military ration because it's pretty heavy in protein and it doesn't spoil easy. So armies can take it with them and be well-provisioned for a long time. It became really important for the daimyos to be able to manufacture and produce miso for their soldiers and to make money. In the Edo period, miso became more popular than ever, even to the point that Edo itself couldn't make enough miso to keep up with demand. What? Yeah. Tragedy. I know. So they actually had to start bringing in miso from the countryside. And so this is when miso became a common food for everybody, even the common people. Common food for common people. And uh, street vendors started selling things like daikon radish and konyaku coated in miso. It'd be common street food. In the Showa period, which started in 1926, miso with dashi was introduced. And we're going to talk about dashi a little bit later on. It's another ingredient that is essential to miso soup. So basically, when they started incorporating dashi into miso, it made it easier to make miso soup. You got kind of one less step. You can just use this pre-mixed dashi slash miso stuff. And since that period, miso has become a popular food around the world, especially in the form of miso soup, of course, helped along a lot by the proliferation of sushi around the world. And even today, miso exports to the rest of the world are still increasing. However, domestic consumption of miso in Japan is actually decreasing. Young people are eating less traditional Japanese food than they used to. Yeah, that's true. But still insanely popular. Miso's not going anywhere in Japan. Yeah, it's a slow decline. Yeah, I bet the first time I had miso soup was probably at a sushi place as part of a meal I got. Yeah, me too. It's good stuff. Yeah, very good. Paul, got a question for you. What's that? How is miso made? Well, you're going to need a few things first. Okay. okay. Give, me, give me a list here. I'm writing it down so I can go to the grocery store. You're going to need koji. Where am I going to... I don't, I don't know if my grocery store has koji. What's that? Koji is a mold. Aspergillus oryzae. Okay. Generally, it's produced by you get your little starter mold, and then you steam white rice or another grain, and you pour the, pour the koji on top, and then it grows and grows and grows. Okay. And now you've got enough koji to make some miso with awesome and this is that same stuff that i guess you you mentioned this is what would be used to make soy sauce and sake as well right yep and uh i think you can actually buy this sometimes at some asian markets they'll have koji available maybe not everywhere but it's out there okay i mean it's not quite that easy because you gotta let it sit at 36 degrees celsius exactly for a while and cover it while it grows. 
Well, I actually, uh, you know, remember when I made that homemade sake? Yeah. That kit came with rice already covered in koji mold. Oh, okay. So you, the growing of the mold had already been done for me. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so we got our koji mold. What else do we need? Soybeans. I guess those are important. Yeah. Can't make fermented soybeans without soybeans. So what I saw is you want to steam those soybeans, and then you mash them up, and then you add some salt. You mix in your koji. Did I miss anything? You just got to mix that all together and let it ferment, right? Yep. Pretty simple. So I saw a video of like an industrial level miso operation, and it was pretty awesome. They had these huge wooden fermentation vats. Each one holds like five tons of miso. (laughs) And they stamp the miso down into these vats with their feet to remove air pockets to prevent any bad bacteria from growing in there. Yeah. And so there is one more ingredient that goes into miso, but you don't add it yourself. It comes from the environment. Oh. Yeah. When it's in these vats or, you know, wherever it's fermenting, it's going to pick up yeast and lactic acid bacteria from the environment. And those strains of bacteria, they're going to affect the flavor of the miso. So at this facility where I saw, you know, this video, each vat in this place and even each room of the building has a different composition of yeast in it. So they move the miso to different barrels, and then they move it to different rooms over time to pick up all these different types of bacteria and yeasts. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's really interesting. You wouldn't think that's how they made it. Yeah, it reminded me of like how scotch can be aged in different types of barrels to get different flavors, you know? Yeah, trying to get those deep flavors and Mm. subtle differences. Yeah. So over weeks or even years... While you're fermenting this stuff, the enzymes in the koji are going to work along with the yeast and bacteria to break down those beans and grains into amino acids, fatty acids, and simple sugars. And then you got all that salt in there. That's going to prevent any bad bacteria from growing. And there are so many factors that go into the final flavor of your miso, the types of grain that you use to make the koji, how long you leave the stuff to ferment, those specific strains of yeast and bacteria, there's just all these little things that go into that final product. Yep. Pretty awesome. Now, Paul, I read there are over a thousand different types of miso. Correct. That's insane. Yeah. We could break it down to make it a little easier. There are three main types of miso you could say we've got shiro miso which is white miso aka miso red miso and awase miso mixed miso right so basically the quickest way to understand these is that shiro miso which means white miso represents the shortest fermentation time end of the spectrum and then the aka miso the red miso is the longest fermented type, right? So there's a whole spectrum in between there, but those are kind of the two extremes. Shiro miso, the white miso, I saw it can also be called sweet or mellow miso. Yep. So since it's fermented for a short time, less than two months, 
and it's lower in salt, it's going to have a milder or delicate flavor. Yep, exactly. The composition is also a little different for the white miso. They're going to use about 40% soybeans and 60% rice or barley. And this type of miso is good for warm weather soups. Also dressings, light sauces, stuff where you want that miso flavor, but you don't want it overpowering. Yeah. Paul, did you know that white miso is more popular in a specific region of Japan? I think I did hear that. Would that be in the Kansai region? You got it. What can you tell us about akamiso? Akamiso, or red miso, is going to be aged longer than white miso. So while those reactions are happening, it starts turning from white to red. Or even it gets like so deep red it looks black Mm -hmm. sometimes. So that's where it gets the name from its dark color from all the time it spends fermenting. It's going to be salty with a stronger miso flavor from the longer fermentation. Yeah, so it's more suited to hearty dishes where it's not going to overpower the other flavors. And uh, again, the composition is a little different here. It's going to have about 70% soybeans and only 30% rice or barley. And uh, when we talk about long fermentation times, I saw this is usually one to three years. That is fermented. And this type is more popular in the Kanto region around Tokyo. So that leaves us with awase miso, which means mixed miso, which is very simple. It's just a blend of white and red miso. So you get the best of both worlds. It's going to have generally a more balanced flavor, and you can use it kind of as more of an all purpose miso. Uh, this is starting to sound more like whiskey again. Yeah. You got your single malts, you got your blended malts. Exactly. Yeah. Blend it to taste. So those categories, we got, you know, the white and red miso, those are divided just based on how long the miso is fermented. But you can also categorize miso in other ways. For example, based on what ingredients are used. So the most common type of miso is kome miso, which is rice miso. So it's made from soybeans and the rice koji. That koji mold is grown on rice, and that's it. So most of the miso sold in Japan and in the U.S. is made that way. There's also mugi miso, which is barley miso. This is made from soybeans and barley koji, so you're growing that koji mold on barley instead of rice. And this one has a longer fermentation process And most white miso, this would be fermented one to three years. It's going to have a strong barley aroma, a dark color, salty, rich flavor. And this one is more popular in southern parts of Japan, but it's still not used as much as it used to be. There's also mame miso. Paul, you know what a mame is? No. It's a bean. Bean. Yeah, we talked about the, uh, the bean throwing at Setsubun, isn't there? There's a word for that, mame something. Anyway, uh, mame means bean. This type of miso is made from only soybeans. So that koji is actually grown on soybeans. And then you mix that with other soybeans and age that for up to three years. So it's just 100% soybeans and mold. Very dark in color, chunky texture. And I saw it described as pungent. 
Ooh. which I think is a great word. I love that word. Yeah, I want that one. Yeah, like you said before, over a thousand different types of miso. It was so customized all over the country based on local ingredients and local weather, you know, whether more barley or more rice grew in the area, all these things affected it. And there's just all sorts of types of miso. You can classify miso based on where it's made or all these other categories as well. Right. You know, we've talked in a lot of episodes about regional specialties and stuff. Basically, all these little places around Japan have their own style of miso that they're going to make there. Yep. Another thing I wanted to note here real quick is that if you want to avoid soy for whatever reason, if you have a sensitivity or something or an allergy, or maybe you just want to try something different, apparently there are new varieties of fermented paste made from other types of grains, beans, and legumes. Did you see this, Paul? Yeah, I heard of that. Like farro, lima beans, azuki beans, which are those ones that they make into that sweet red bean paste. For, oh, man, we got to make more of that. Yeah, that was good. Used a lot in traditional Japanese sweets. And chickpeas. You can get chickpea miso, apparently. Okay, yeah, why not? Use chickpeas for everything these days. Yeah. That's cool. All right, so let's talk about how you can use miso now that you've made it. There's a lot of ways. So before we get into specific dishes here, I just want to mention real quick here that miso is a living food. You know, we talked about all those bacterias and stuff that are living in there, and those are beneficial microorganisms. Like, they are good for your gut health and that kind of thing, and excessive heat can actually kill those So if you want to preserve all the health benefits and flavor of the miso, it should be added to foods just before they are removed from heat. You don't want to like, you don't want to boil miso soup once you put the miso in there. But there are also a lot of Japanese recipes that do cook the miso itself. So this isn't a hard rule or anything. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, I could see myself if I didn't know that, like try to get too smart and be like, I'll, I'll saute the miso with some garlic to really like get the flavor in there and just burn the heck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking of soups, like I think you mentioned there, you want to put it in at the end of your soup cooking. Mm-hmm. Miso soup is super widely eaten as a breakfast food in Japan. Yeah, and it's super delicious and surprisingly easy to make at home if you want. I actually make it fairly often. So I can go through those steps if, uh, if that's cool. <laughs> Is that cool, Paul? Make me miso, Jason. Okay. For the rest of our lives. <laughs> so first you want dashi. Like I mentioned, dashi before is an essential ingredient. This is basically a soup stock flavored with usually dried fish and or kombu seaweed. It's like kelp, basically. But... If maybe you're a vegan, like Paul here, and you don't want to eat the fish, you can also make dashi with mushrooms or other things. Basically, what you're looking for is that umami flavor, and there are a lot of ways to get that into your soup stock. Once you have your dashi, you're going to dissolve your favorite kind of miso in there, and then you basically got miso soup. Like, it's that simple, and you can just add whatever other kind of toppings you want or or something like if you wanted vegetable miso soup maybe you boil 
the uh, vegetables in dashi before you add the miso. Or if you want, you know, the most standard one that you see in the U.S., I think, is just wakame seaweed and tofu. And you can just throw those in there. You know, miso soup just means that that broth has miso dissolved in it. Besides that, you can throw whatever you want in there, basically. Yep. So, Paul, what's your preferred uh, ingredients in miso soup, like the solids? What do you want in there? I mean, I've always been a fan of the seaweed and tofu. Okay. But I don't know if I've ever had like a hearty vegetable miso soup. That actually kind of sounds really good. Yeah, I've experimented with it a bit. There are like there are YouTube videos that give you different ideas for what to put in miso soup. One that I really liked is onion and potatoes. Yeah, it's like a potato would be good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let me that. let me make some notes here. If I'm <laughs> if I'm making miso for the rest of Paul's life, I need a lot of options. So it's not just miso soup, but many other popular types of Japanese soup utilize miso sometimes ramen udon nabe it's usually going to be called like miso udon they'll tell you that the miso is in there yeah but it's a popular type of broth base for all sorts of japanese soups definitely another miso food that i like a lot is called miso dengaku this is a sweetened miso glaze that is commonly used for grilling things like tofu, eggplant, konyaku. I like to use it just as a dip for raw veggies. Yeah, that's really good. Like you, you could just dip veggies in plain miso too and eat it that way. But the dengaku, in addition to the miso, it has like sugar, mirin, sake. And I just feel like it enhances it a bit. And it makes it like a little less thick. So it's easier to dip stuff in. Yeah. Good stuff. I heard corn, like corn on the cob, they put some sort of miso mm. miso glaze on there. That kind of sounds good. It does sound good. Uh, I saw that miso can be used to braise veggies and mushrooms. That's yep. common. Yeah. Uh, you can use miso as a flavor booster in stir fry. Yeah. A lot of miso marinades. So mm-hmm. anything you want to soak up some flavor, you can whip up a miso marinade. Right. The enzymes in the miso actually help tenderize meat or fish by breaking down the proteins in there. Yep. Miso pickles. Have you ever had a miso pickle? I don't think I've had any. I kind of want to try one. Yeah, it does sound really good. Miso zuke, miso pickle. Yep. Common varieties are cucumber, daikon radish, napa cabbage, eggplant pickles. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're basically salt pickles. You know, there's a lot of salt in the miso, but these are going to be sweeter and a little less salty than the standard salt pickles because you got that extra miso flavor in there. Mm-hmm. I saw a recipe for miso butter cookies. Okay. I'm really curious what, I guess you got to add a bunch of sugar to make them like sweet cookies, but you still got miso flavor in there. I'm curious what that's like. Sweet and salty. I mean, I like little salted caramel chunks and cookies you know like that little bit of saltiness might yeah. might make it kind of good yeah now i've also seen a lot of western recipes that use miso in a way that you might not expect i saw that people sometimes use miso in donuts in jams in caramel caramel paul do you say caramel or caramel caramel okay me too 
Um, cobbler. I guess the idea is you can use miso to balance out that sweetness and add a little bit of complexity. Can you imagine yeah. a miso donut? Uh, I mean, I imagine it's good, but I kind of want to try it. I'm not sure exactly what that would taste like. Yeah. Yeah, it's so versatile. I mean, really, you can use miso in almost anything. Mm-hmm. Some people add miso to chicken noodle soup. That sounds good. I could totally dig that. Interesting. I saw somebody recommend spreading some miso on a PB&J. Okay. To class it up a bit, you know? Okay. You could blend it into a pesto. You could spread it on pizza. Huh? That could be good. Maybe. I mean, put some veggies on it then, you know, and let it all bake together. I imagine that working better on your type of pizza. Yeah, no more cheese. Than my like type pizza of with pizza. cheese. I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't imagining that. Mm. So yeah. Very versatile food. You can use it in almost anything. I mean, just add a little bit and see what happens, you know? It can add sweetness, it can add saltiness, it can add just a bit of depth of flavor. We should probably talk a little bit about how to store miso too. If you I feel like a lot of people you know, they get this idea in their head, oh, I'm going to make a bunch of miso soup and they get like a big tub of miso and then it just sits in their freezer for a really long time and they're like, I, I don't know what else to do with this, you know? How do you store miso, do you know? Uh, you refrigerate it. That's one way to do it. I actually saw a Japanese TV show where they talked about this. So like apparently even Japanese people don't all store their miso the same way. So they talked about like what is the best way? Do you want to do you want to store it under the sink? Do you want to put it in the fridge? Do you want to put it in the freezer? And this show said that the freezer is actually the best place for it. Here's the problem with that. Yeah. I want my miso and I want it now and I wasn't thinking ahead and I didn't dethaw it. That's the great thing though is that miso doesn't freeze. What? Yeah, you can keep it in the freezer and it'll be the same texture it would be in the fridge. It's just going to last longer. So why not? Okay, you know? now, now I'm sold. Yeah. The one important thing is that you want to try to keep air from touching it. So you can cover the surface of it in plastic wrap and then put the lid on top of that and stick it in the freezer that way. I've seen miso come in like almost like a foil pouch before. Foil pouch? It's, 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 it seemed like hmm. maybe it's thick paper. But I feel like you could roll that up really tight and like seal it. Yeah. That might that might do all right. Yeah, usually I either get like a plastic kind of tub where you you would want to use the saran wrap or something on top. Yeah. Or the last batch I got was in a little like plastic bag sort of thing where you yeah, you would just roll it up and try to squeeze all the air out and then I I just like wrap a rubber band around it <laughs> to hold it all together. Yeah. So in the fridge or the freezer, miso will easily last at least a year because of course, it is a fermented food. It is a living food. It's not really going to go bad. And even at room temperature, miso can keep for about two months because fermentation is just magic, man. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, that's so cool. We should talk a little bit about the nutrition and health benefits of miso. Okay. You mentioned that miso is high in protein. Also rich in vitamins and minerals. Yeah, apparently red miso has the highest amount of protein because it has the highest proportion of soybeans. Makes sense. And it contains all nine essential amino acids. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Miso has several B vitamins, 
vitamin E, a lot of antioxidants, all of which help out your immune system. Also a source of copper, manganese, vitamin K, and zinc. Wow. Mm -hmm. And even with all these vitamins and protein, on top of that, you got probiotics. Because that fermentation, that's all that good bacteria that's going to aid in digestion, keeps your gut healthy, helps you absorb nutrients in your intestines. Yep. Miso can help lower your LDL cholesterol. That's the bad one. Wow. And apparently they did a study that shows that it can protect against radiation and heavy metal poisoning. What? That's what they say. That's awesome. Studies have also shown that miso can actually offer protection from certain types of cancer. And, you know, I don't know. I'm real buy some miso on the way home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've kind of said before, like all this, all these health benefits of all these foods, you know, it feels like a little much sometimes, like all these claims, like how much of an effect does it really have, you know? Yeah, there's so many factors. Like, it's hard to take a human beings and, like, isolate them down to, like, one thing that they ate sometimes, and that's why these people got cancer and these people didn't. Right. And it, it sometimes it feels like every food, they're going to tell you either it causes cancer or prevents cancer. Yeah. It's all just, <laughs> it's a wash, you know, with all this different stuff that you eat. Who cares? But apparently regular miso consumption can reduce the risk of liver and breast cancer by 50 to 54%. Wow. Yeah. Got to get your vitamins and minerals. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And miso, uh, it's great for that. You know what I have been doing as a great snack lately, actually, is uh, just get some broccoli, just a head of broccoli. And whenever I feel like a snack, just break off some of those florets of broccoli, dip them in some miso or hummus. I've been eating a lot of hummus lately, too. But yeah. It's a good snack. Healthy snack. Yeah, all this makes me think back to the history section on why miso was so important for all those hundreds of years. When you're eating a diet that's like 90% rice and you get like you get some fish and some pickles and then you've got miso, mm -hmm. like the vitamins, the nutrients year round because you can save it through the winter and the protein, all of that would be so important for these people. Totally. It fills in all the gaps in your diet. Yeah. It's a superfood. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's everything's a, a superfood <laughs> these days, too. Yeah. Uh, one thing to keep in mind, though, about miso is it does have a lot of sodium, about 700 milligrams per tablespoon. So, you know, it's not an issue for most people, but some people have conditions that could be affected by high sodium intake. Yep. All right, Jason, I'm sold. I need some miso. Where am I going to go? Well, if you're in Japan, there are going to be a ton of options. All right. You can find miso in grocery stores, of course. Yep. There are shops that specialize in miso. Like they have, you know, the shop is just full of these giant buckets of like dozens of different types of miso. That's pretty cool. I want to see one of those places. That'd be awesome. Can you just like scoop up however much you want? It might be self-serve. Or you just say, I want half a pound of this one, and yeah. I want a pound of that one. Yeah, I'm not sure how that works. That'd be dope. I haven't been to one of those places, but I'll, I'll seek one out next time yeah, in Japan. Yeah. Now, this is cool. I want to talk about this restaurant in Asakusa, Tokyo, that specializes in miso soup. Mm. Like, they only do miso soup, mm. and it looks really cool. 
It's called Misoju. It opened in 2019, and they just have a ton of different variations of miso soup, like really hearty ones. So it's your whole meal. It's just this bowl of miso soup. So they go way beyond like traditional Japanese stuff. They throw in like tomatoes and I don't know. There are a lot of uh, Western ingredients in there too. They're trying to appeal to to everybody. You know? Okay, so experimenting. I like yeah. that. Yeah. There's another restaurant in Ginza. That sounds so cool. They sell miso soup to go in a cup. I saw that. Did you see the uh, the tofu? The tofu is the best part. Yeah. What did they do to that tofu? I'm thinking it must be the um, like the super soft tofu that's almost like uh, watery because yeah. they basically turn it into like whipped cream. Yeah, they like whipped it up somehow. And they spray it onto the top of your soup like out of a can. Yeah, like <laughs> into your like coffee cup miso soup. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, you drink it with one hand, and you, they even had like a little self-serve bar with other toppings. You can drizzle some olive oil and like some herbs or whatever on top. Nice, customize. Cool. Yeah. You can also get miso soup in vending machines in Japan. Did you ever try that? I don't think so. Okay, I definitely had that a few times. It's great, like, if you're walking around. This always happens to me in Japan, is I'm walking around... And there's just so much cool stuff to look at, I forget to eat. And then all of a sudden I realize like, oh, I'm just, I'm super hungry. Like I need to get something in me now. And you just walk by a vending machine, oh, I can get a can of miso soup and sip that. Perfect. Nice. Now let's say you're not in Japan. Okay. Go to your local Asian market. They usually have a decent selection of miso. At the very least, you should be able to find some white miso, red miso, maybe some awasi miso. Yeah. I mean, we sell miso at my work, too. Like, it's not that hard to find these days in what America. Kind of, what kind of selection do you have there? Uh, we got, I think it's only one brand, two or three types. Okay. I should, yeah, I should look closer into them now that I know so much about miso. Yeah, I'd be curious. Like, do we have a white miso? or uh, I'll have to see. You can also find, if you're just looking for miso soup, you can also find all sorts of instant miso soup. Like, you can just get it in a packet. And just add water, and there you go. You got miso soup. But really, it's so easy to make real miso soup. I say, just why not just make it, you know? It's easy enough that instant miso soup seems unnecessary to me. Now, I feel like I should mention Aiden Fermented Foods. This is a San Francisco-based company that makes all sorts of fermented Japanese foods, including miso. This is where I got that homemade sake that, uh, that I made. Okay. My sister got me a couple different types of miso from there. There was like a Kyoto sweet miso and then a country, it was like a chunky kind of miso. I think it was the barley miso. Anyway, uh, it's good stuff. And, you know, everything I've gotten there is really good. They have a few varieties of organic miso. Some of those are fermented for over a year. If you're interested in checking them out, their website is aidensf.com, A-E-D-A-N-S-F.com. And we're not paid by them or anything. It's just something that I've tried and I like them. So I thought I'd mention it. Now, another thing you could do, Paul. Yeah. Is you could make miso yourself. Yeah. It's very easy to do. And people did it for hundreds of years in Japan before they had grocery stores. Yeah. Families would get together and make their own miso. Mm-hmm. Like we said, all you need is soybeans, rice koji, and salt. And there are videos all over the internet 
telling you how that process works at home. So check it out. Yeah, families like to do it, I think, as a fun thing, like with the kids. Get everyone together, make the miso, and then we can all enjoy it for the next few months. Heck, for the next year, you can make a big batch and just yeah, why not? stick it in the freezer. And then you go make some homemade soy sauce, homemade tofu, homemade sake, homemade mochi. We've talked about how to make all of those things. And now you're in Edo, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Got anything else to say about miso, Paul? No. I think we've touched a lot of miso bases. Yeah. All right. Well, guess that's it. If you want to reach out to us and tell us how much you love miso, you can send an email to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash sightseeingjapanpodcast. I feel like most of our community is more on Instagram, but there's still some people on Facebook to uh, interact with too. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to be talking about Japanese masks, a tradition that goes back hundreds of years in Japan. Cool. I've seen a lot of masks on my Japan trips. Never picked one up, but I kind of want to. Yeah, I want to get a mask. I like Hyotoko. He's yeah. fun. <laughs> That's a good, a good one. It's a good mask. I want to get a Tengu mask. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That would be cool, too. Well, we'll talk all about it next time. Yes, we will. Well, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>